this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your December edition of Voices of Experience. I hope you're enjoying your VOE this year. I've received many emails from NSA members who seem to appreciate my attempt to keep the information at the highest level possible. Thank you for your encouraging feedback. It's much appreciated. I initially took on the responsibility for VOE as a way to support my friend and our president, Kristen Arnold, as well as to give to the organization that has given so much to me over the years. I have to tell you that I'm thoroughly enjoying my role with VOE this year because I've received so many great ideas from all the people I've interviewed for the various segments. Even when I give to NSA, I can't help but get back. I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. I hope you've been enjoying and benefiting from Lynn Wayman's interviews of Sam Horn. Well, coming up is their fourth and last segment. As usual, it's a good one. But don't worry, I have plenty more information-packed segments ready to put into this slot. And now, take it away, Lynn and Sam. So, Sam, how about some speaker examples of how they've used all these wonderful strategies? One of my favorite examples of this is, remember we were talking about the importance of being innovative, about being one of a kind instead of one of many? An easy way to do that is to do the opposite instead of the obvious. Oscar Wilde said, to agree is boring. To doubt is intensely exciting. So sometimes by zigging instead of zagging, by being contrarian or by being counterintuitive, that's what gets the eyebrows up. And I think Larry Winget is a, is a wonderful example of this. Larry Winget kind of observed that a lot of motivational speakers were all about how you could be a better person and so forth. And so he went the opposite direction, and he's the pit bull of personal development. So you see, he carved out his own space because he was the opposite of what the norm was. A quick example of that is that years Years ago, Enterprise wanted to enter the very crowded car rental market. It was owned, dominated by Hertz and Avis. So what did they do? They asked themselves two questions that every speaker can ask themselves. They asked themselves, okay, who's our competition and what do they all have in common? Well, where are all Hertz and Avis and so forth located? At the airport. At the airport. So, mm -hmm. see, they were the first to locate in, in neighborhoods. Towns, yeah. Now, they also asked, what do our customers want that none of our competitors offer? Well, what do customers want? Pick up and drop off surface. So, see, they were the first to offer something that their customers wanted that their competitors didn't offer. By the way, you want to know the happy ending to that story? Guess who's number one in the billion-dollar mm -hmm. car rental agency? And so if you're thinking, I'm new to this industry, how can I possibly compete with people who have been speaking for 10 or 20 years? Study them. What do all of them do? Do the opposite. What do meeting planners and audiences want that no one else offers it? Be the first to do it. And like Larry Wingate, you may be carving out your own niche. That's great. That's great. Sam, I use a, um, a phrase sometimes in marketing that might fit the rhythmic or maybe the alliteration uh, test that you gave us. I uh, sometimes say, make networking an art, not an accident. Wonderful. Now we're going to make that a little bit more pithy. Yes, help me work on it. <laughs> okay, because actually the shorter the phrase, the more memorable the phrase. Uh, or as Elmore Leonard would say, the famous author, he was asked, you know, to what he attributed his best-selling novels, and he said, 
I try to leave out the parts people skip. <laughs> so see, we're going to leave out the words that make this too long to repeat. So I don't think we need the verb here. So if we made it just networking, um, you know, it's an art, not an accident. Or I think Bill Cates said, you know, why don't we have networking colon an art? Not an accident. Do you see how by trimming it, it I makes like it, it punch more? Much better. Good. Good. Thanks. You know, Lynn, you were asking about why it's so important for us to care about this. Well, here's one of my favorite examples of, of a speaker who framed his idea in such a powerful way that it exponentially increased its impact. There's a quote from Bud Gardner, a longtime NSA member who's the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Writer's Soul, and he said, when you speak, your words echo around the room. When you write, your words echo around the world. John Alston gave a keynote at a National Speakers Association convention a few years ago, and the premise of his talk was that goodness must be taught, that it may not happen naturally, that it may not be our first choice when we're tempted. And at the end of his talk, he gathered himself and he stood tall and he spread his arms out in this magnificent gesture and he thundered, goodness must be taught. And we got chicken skin. <laughs> and it was the talk of the convention, Lynn. It's because he punched and he paused. He gave those words that were distilled down so that every word told, he distilled it in a way that we could remember it. It was imprinted on our heart and on our head. And that is when, as speakers and authors, we leave legacies. Turn your ideas into rememberable phrases so that readers and audiences are repeating it and acting on it. And that's how, as speakers, we can scale our influence for good. Thank you, Sam and Lynn. So my question to you, listener of VOE, what do you do? What do you offer that no one else on this planet offers? Discover that and you'll definitely stand out in a crowded marketplace. Besides a segment from our president, Kristen Arnold, the only other person to have a segment in every edition of VOE this year is none other than Terry Brock, CSP CPAE. In this next segment, Terry interviews NSA member Alethea Owens. If you're listening to this segment at home or in your office, you might find it helpful to pull up Alethea Owens' Facebook page. Go to www.facebook.lethiaowens.com. That's L-E-T-H-I-E, Lethia Owens, O-W-E-N-S. Facebook.lethiaowens.com. Professional speakers know that we have got to use the latest technology. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and a host of others are available. And today we've got a treat for you. I'm talking with Lethea Owens, who knows this kind of stuff backwards and forwards. She joins me now. Lethea, thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Terry. Well, tell me about what you've been doing. You mentioned you've got something about a customized welcome on Facebook. Tell me about that and how that can benefit professional speakers. 
Wonderful, Terry. Well, I'd like to first start off by saying when we look at using social media as a tool to promote our brands online, one of the things that's really important is that we figure out a way to take those conversations offline and turn them into currency. And one of the ways in my business that I found uh, to do that most effectively is to use a custom welcome page on my Facebook business page. Yeah. Now, you may be wondering, what is a custom welcome page? If you're not really that experienced with Facebook, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But to explain that, basically, when you go to someone's business page, if they have a custom welcome page, uh, they basically have taken HTML and FBML, which is Facebook's markup language, and they've created a web page that welcomes you to their business page and if they're really smart they actually have an opt-in button for you to connect with them offline or outside of Facebook yeah it's a real call to action button there exactly mm -hmm. exactly well what kind of results have you seen from this from uh, your clients from people that you know that have these kind of customized welcome Facebook pages Wonderful. You know, I mentioned that it's important to take these conversations that you nurture and, and uh, start up or engage on social networks to take those conversations offline. I think each of us as speakers and sales professionals, because we're selling ourselves, we know where our sweet spot is. We know whether or not uh, email newsletters or our our face-to-face -face meetings or our phone meetings are the best places for us to promote our products and services. And so by having a custom welcome page if you know that your phone meetings or your phone strategy sessions perhaps are the best place for you to connect with people to potentially turn that that lead into a sale then your welcome custom welcome page should encourage people to contact your office and call you for say a free strategy session or for some type of bonus that you're giving away that they have to call in to receive if you can close people on your newsletter then get them to opt in for for your e-newsletter via your business page. What I've seen is I'm getting approximately 40 to 50 new people from Facebook a day signing up for my e-newsletter, or an I call mine actually a V-Zine. And what this does is it increases the number of people that I can actually promote to when I'm sharing valuable information that helps them be more successful and also sharing how my products and services can help them. Yeah, I like what you're doing there because you're taking the essence of social media in that it's not a pushy medium it's something different you get to know people and they know you you're being able to use this now in a particular way that attracts people they get to know you they like you and then they can connect with you in a way that's comfortable for you and comfortable for them it sounds like it's a win all the way around Exactly. And when you have an opt-in box that you can that you can specify has come from Facebook, you're able to engage with people via a series of autoresponders where you're not really promoting anything initially. You're just building relationship and offering value. And over a period of time, you can then send an email that encourages them to call your office and or an email that actually promotes your product. But it does allow you to set up a campaign for your Facebook friends that you can then communicate with and then hopefully turn them into paying customers. I like it. Well, Ethia, really good ideas and you have a bunch of them. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? My website is lethiaowens.com, L-E. 
Tia's and Tom, H-I-A-Owens.com. And if they want to connect with me on any social network, they can just type in the name of the network and then .LethiaOwens.com. So Facebook would be Facebook.LethiaOwens.com, Twitter, Twitter.LethiaOwens.com, and so forth. Sounds like you've planned that a little bit in advance. Good for you. I did. <laughs> I like it. Well, Letha, always a delight and a pleasure to talk with you and hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us here on Voices of Experience. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Terry and Lethia. Once again, Lethia's Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.lethiaowens.com. I need to take a minute to tell you about the Keynote Lab coming up January 12th and 13th in Las Vegas. The name of the lab is Next Generation Keynoter, the future of creating sustainable models, meaningful messages, and masterful delivery. This is about as unique a lab as I've come across in my 20 years and as NSA member. The lab is designed to be hands-on, interactive, workshop-type, walk-out-with-a-plan-in-hand kind of training. It will also be multimedium in its delivery meaning that there will be station rotations, panel discussions, Q&A, interviews with top keynoters, presentations like always, interactive workshops, and live evaluation sessions on delivery mechanics, messaging of marketing materials, and business models. Rory Vaden, the chair of this lab, told me the primary focus of the lab is on the business of keynoting. Great presentation skills are a part of that, of course, and will be covered, But if you're just looking for a presentation skills class, this isn't it. It's a whole lot more. You'll learn the landscape of the keynote industry by analyzing the key characteristics of different fee ranges and different styles. You'll learn how to identify and hone the unique message that you and only you can deliver and clarify for your clients precisely what problems you solve. You'll learn how to craft your keynote so that it delivers your message with impact and doesn't come off as a recycled breakout or training session with just more stories. You'll watch and learn from live speech coaching from some of the best presenters on the planet. You'll hear panel discussions from industry leaders about flourishing business models and how to get booked. And you'll gain understanding of the key indicators that drive your credibility and your fee and how to command higher fees. Prepare yourself and your business to become one of the best in the next generation. To register for the NSA Keynote Lab, go to www.nsakeynotelab.org. That's triple dub, nsakeynotelab.org. You'll save $50 off the regular rate when you register through December 13th. Again, the lab is January 12th and 13th at the new state-of-the-art Meet Las Vegas event facility. And save $50 by registering by December 13th. I'll see you there. As I promised in the introduction to my first VOE back in September, I'm reaching outside of NSA from time to time to bring high-level thinking to our members. This next segment is one such example. Dan Sullivan is the founder of Strategic Coach, headquartered in Toronto, Canada, and with additional offices in Chicago and the United Kingdom. Dan Sullivan has helped thousands of entrepreneurs break through what he calls the ceiling of complexity to increase revenues, increase profits, and add more free time to their lives. As his company name implies, Dan is a strategic thinker. And I always take away gold when I tap into Sullivan's leading edge strategic thinking. I hope you do too. Here now is the first of several interviews I conducted with Dan Sullivan. 
Dan, you've worked with a lot of very successful entrepreneurs over the years, you know, many of whom are superstars in their industries. And by superstar, I don't just mean well-known. I mean consistently generating significant revenue. Obviously, most speakers, entrepreneurs in general, would love to be at that superstar level and maintain that superstar level, but they just aren't sure how to get there. Uh, shed some light on why you think this is and, and what they might do differently to create a breakthrough. Well, first of all, I think it's probably one of the two or three most pressing issues and questions that everybody who is operating as an entrepreneur in the marketplace is dealing with continually. And it has to do with the fact that for a lot of people, just going into the marketplace and getting paid for just who they are is like a very liberating experience. But what happens very, very quickly, and because, Bill, I know a lot of people who are in the speaking industry, you know, when you first get a like a $2,000 check, you know, and you've gone out and somebody invited you to speak and you got like a $2,000 check, there's this immediate experience which say, wow, this is amazing, you know. And then they go through a first year and they maybe make $50,000 or $70,000. And it's almost like the fulfillment of their dreams. But then they begin to realize that if they take it on an hourly basis, you know, of how much time they're putting in to get the fifty dollars to $70,000 and the travel time and the staying at hotels, being away from their family, all of a sudden they realize, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually not getting paid that much. And I have to tell you a story here. There's a very famous speaker, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he's in Canada. And in the early days, I used to travel a lot to Vancouver, and they had the 747s in those days. So I was in the business class of 747, and this speaker is there too. And in those days, you could also walk up and down the aisles, which they don't let you do anymore. So he's walking up and down the aisles, and I didn't know him, but but I just introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm Dan Sullivan. And he said, oh, Dan Sullivan, I know about Dan Sullivan. So there was actually a free seat. So we got together and he started talking. So I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm getting ready for a speech. The, the short story here is that he was traveling to Vancouver and he was getting paid $2,500 for a speech. And I asked him, I said, do you generally work for that little money? And he said, what do you mean? $2,500 is a lot of money. And he says, look, it's the three-hour speech for $2,500. I said, it isn't three hours, it's three days. I said, it's the day you're going out there, the day you're giving the speech, and the day you're coming back. I said, you're putting in, you know, three days to make $2,500. And this came as a real slap to him because he was discounting all the non-performance time as being sort of meaningless. So that was the one issue, is that he was working really fast. But then as the years have gone by, Bill, and I'm sure that you sense this yourself, just the sheer amount of time that people have to put in for marketing has actually increased enormously of people who are creating what I would call intangible products in the marketplace. So what I mean by that is essentially they are selling ideas. Like I'm, a, I'm in the business of selling ideas, you're in the business of selling ideas. And what I'm just noticing over the last 20 years especially is that it's becoming harder and harder to get people's attention out in the marketplace for your idea. You may have the greatest idea in the world, but there's a lot of noise. There's just a lot of static now that is preventing increased numbers of people of actually finding out who you are, what you do, and why you're different from everyone else. So 
What we've created in Strategic Coach, and this is about two years in the making right now, is a concept called the missing structure. I'll put it real simply that basically you have to show to any prospective customer, client, audience who's going to hire you why it is that what you have to say provides a crucial missing structure in the lives of your listeners. In other words, that they are missing out on something very, very crucial and something very, very large right now simply because they don't know what you know. They do not have what you can do for them. So I call that the missing structure. And I'll give you, a, give you an example, and I just want to preface this by saying I'm not doing a commercial here, but I want to tell you how we do it in Strategic Coach. And what the missing structure is is that it's showing a drastic contrast between the way that most people operate. In my case, it would be entrepreneurs, how most entrepreneurs operate in their businesses, in their industries, in their lives. And I would say 95% of them, as opposed to a 1% who have discovered something quite extraordinary and are operating by a completely different methodology, are getting totally different results. So what the missing structure is, first of all, it's a whole series of contrasts, and it's done graphically. You have sort of like a graphic that shows a bottom world where everything is nasty, and you have a top world where everything is great. And at the bottom, there's a 95%. For example, from the strategic code standpoint, that 95% of all entrepreneurs in the world never have the experience of actually getting to $200,000 in personal income, and that's verified by any number of statistics and actually two hundred thousand dollars is probably quite high there so they don't have any of the knowledge they don't have any of the attitudes they don't have any of the habits they don't have any of the skills that would be necessary to get to two hundred thousand dollars but not only that they're surrounded by other people who also do not have the experience of getting to two hundred thousand dollars they probably come from families where they never had any experience of $200,000, and a lot of their friends, they never have this experience. But not only that, their support structures, their teams, everything they've learned about running a business would not allow them to get above $200,000. And let me interrupt just for a yeah. second. You're talking about $200,000 of personal income, not the gross revenue for the for No, the I'm talking about personal income, you know, in terms of the... Their salary or bonus. Yeah, however they get paid, but it's right. your pre-tax amount of money, you know, that basically what you would put on right. your tax return, this is my total personal income for the year. And yet, at the same time, there's a whole other world where people make more than a million dollars a year. Not only make more than a million dollars a year, they would make two million, three million, four million, and it's like a magical kingdom for most people. I mean, they just sit there and they say, how could that ever be possible? So in the bottom world, I call they're trapped in the ceiling of complexity. Their whole life is really trapped in complexity. And Bill, we've had conversations before about all the complexities of being a professional speaker. One of them being is that so many of the professional speakers that I've seen do a tremendous amount of backstage work on their own. They don't have a team to help them. So literally, I've seen people who are well-known speakers who have no support staff. They do all the marketing. They do all the 
set up, they travel alone, they don't have anybody actually taking care of the business while they're away, and so their life is just filled up with incredible number of details and complex issues. So what happens is that they're working too hard, they're working too long, they're away from home a lot, there's strains on their family, there's probably strains on their health because they get tired a lot, they don't have any support staff, but not only that, they get locked into a particular type of audience, they get used to receiving a certain size check, and they're kind of lumped in with a lot of other speakers. They haven't really differentiated themselves in the market. So there's a real frustration, and there's a word that I would use that would characterize the entrepreneurs, but especially the people in the speaking industry, is that they live a lifetime of frustration. They always are envisioning themselves operating at a much higher level. They can see other speakers who have attained almost superstar, as you use the word, Bill. They've attained superstar status, and they, they don't know how to get there, you know. And oftentimes when they talk to other speakers, the other speakers are in the same situation, and so they don't get much insight out of it. So that's one world. The other world, and it's just the opposite, so I'm not going to go through all the details, but the other world is a multiplier world. And these are individuals who have learned how to identify a whole series of personal and organizational multipliers that allow them to get more done with less effort, get more done with less of their time, and they keep getting bigger and bigger checks. And I call this the multiplier mindset. There's sort of like a multiplier breakthrough that occurs in their life. And that's a separate world, and there's a big gap in between it. And I would say it's 95% who are in the complexity trap world, and there's a 1% who are in the multiplier mindset world, and there's about a 4% that are somewhere between those two worlds. But the contrast here is between 95 and 1%. The contrast is between below 200,000 and above 1 million and the huge contrast between a life of increasing frustration and a life of increasing freedom. So what's the truth of this matter is that there's a missing structure between these two worlds. Okay, And so the way that we position Strategic Coach is that over the last 35 years, working with more than 6,000 entrepreneurs, I have been able to extract from the most successful entrepreneurs the knowledge, the attitudes, the skills, and the habits that allow an individual who has habitually been living in a world below $200,000 to systematically, quarter by quarter, year by year, go and eventually, in a very normal fashion, in a very systematic and strategic fashion reach a point where in one year they receive a personal income of one million dollars and all along the freedom that they experience in their life increases and the amount of frustration that they have in their life disappears. So that's my standard missing structure speech and I said we've got a seven-step process that we've tested out over 30,000 hours of conversation with entrepreneurs that allows us to really present with a great deal of of certainty that if you follow these steps, you'll actually get these results. So that's it. Now, so what I teach in Strategic Coach is that I teach people that if you can't position yourself in the marketplace as someone who provides a missing structure, then you're just lumped in with all the other 
businesses in your industry and you know say well I'm really funny I'm really effective you know people really clap a lot and here's some of the testimonials after the speech but someone who's thinking about their next event or their next conference and they're saying you know it's kind of blah 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 I heard it before yeah yeah same old same old and they're not getting the differentiating proposal they're not getting the value creation proposition that really makes this person different so Bill you just told me you came back from a keynote speaker at one of the biggest and most prestigious conferences in the financial services industry and I say well the reason it happened is because Bill has differentiated himself from hundreds and hundreds of other speakers both in the general marketplace and in the financial services industry that allows him to you know when the organizers of a conference get together and say oh boy if we could get Bill Cates that would really be fantastic you know and I've aspired to that all my life I mean I speak to sell my program but you know to just to be the keynote speaker that's a real milestone and I would say that the vast majority of professional speakers never really actually get that experience or if they do it's a one-time only thing and the money doesn't really come with it so they have to establish this missing structure graphic they have to create this missing structure proposition so that's the general layout and I'm sure that you've got dozens of questions for me about the specifics of uh, how you go about it yeah there are really two questions that are coming up as I'm listening to you I'm thinking about how this applies to me. I assume the other people listening are thinking that as well. So I hear two things, and I'd like you to comment on both a little bit. So if I'm talking to a a prospective client, I want to let them know that I've identified a structure, so to speak. I guess I can even use those words. um, Missing structure. Right, missing structure that that that's keeping your advisors, keeping your organization, keeping your employees, whatever the term may be, from from performing at peak level, uh, keeping your profits down, etc. So the problems you have come from a missing structure. I have that structure. I can bring that in. I can teach your people the the as you talk about habits and skills and attitudes, etc. Uh, to to solve that problem. So that's what I'm hearing on one side. And then the other is we as speakers need to have a certain structure internally. And that's certainly one of the things that you do in in Strategic Coach is help entrepreneurs with that. But we need to have our own structures in place or we're not going to get to that million-dollar level. There's really two conversations here. Is that correct? Yeah, very, very much so, Bill. And regarding the first conversation to go in, you have to have at least two contrasting hard numbers. And one of the real things that I found in the services industry and especially in the intangible industry, people sell qualitatively, but they don't sell quantitatively. And what I mean by that is, though there's going to be a tremendous excitement level, we get rave reviews on a scale of 10, you know, historically we're always getting it, but it's your say-so. And it's not a tangible number that anybody can really zero in on because there's no contrast to it. There's no before and after story. What people in life are essentially buying, and I've used the two words, is that they want a lot less frustration and they want a lot more freedom, and they'd like to have a number attached to that. So below $200,000 contrasted with above a million dollars, 
the automatic thing that people know is at $200,000, I have a lot more frustration than I would at a million dollars. And at a million dollars, I have a lot more freedom than I would have below $200,000. And so I use those numbers. And these are backed up, you know, historically, because we've been in business for 21 years. And we have 100,000 just as an entry level to even to come into the program. So one of the things that I get people to do, and you have to realize that, I mean, the economy in the United States, Canada, and the other advanced countries right now are going more and more heavily to a service model where a lot of what people are selling starts off as an intangible. It's conceptual. It's an intangible. So that's a burden from a standpoint of marketing. You know, you can't take it out of a box. You can't put it on the table. You can't open it up. You can't put on a button, and you can't show how it works. It's more that you have to persuade people that there's a huge before and after contrast, and not one that's going to take years and years and years, but actually could happen quite quickly. But they have to follow certain steps systematically that are not generally known to the world. You know them because you've taken a special interest in this particular area. You've really dug deeply into the differences between failure and success. You've systematized your insights. You've put them into practical stages and steps, and you have an overall process that if a person enters on one end and absolutely goes level by level through your process at the other end, they're going to get the results that are radically different from what they had before. That's essentially the missing structure. And if you're not talking in those terms, you're not satisfying a whole set of criteria that people have in their brain about this sounds good, this doesn't sound good, you know, we're looking for this, we're not looking for this. And I'm afraid that, you know, a lot of people just saying, you know, I'm a really exciting speaker, everybody thinks I'm great. It doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't cut it. There has to be some real tangible result. You know, and the other thing is that you don't want to be a one-off speaker for the rest of your life. Every speaker I've ever known who has gotten to know me said, well, how do you do it? You you keep your clients for 20 years. You know, they come back every quarter for 20 years. I'd love to have a system like that. And I said, the reason is that I've got a missing structure and I have a process. And you've got a great 60-minute speech, but... You're like a road show, and it's a different town, different audience every night, and you never really establish any relationships, ongoing continuity to go with that because it's not an ongoing process of personal change that people can really go through. You know, and then a lot of speakers have really built up products. They have audio tapes, they have books, and a lot of them are going to online programs, which I think is all very good. But you've got to have this value creation proposition. So in regard to your first thing, it's just basically that you have about two to three minutes to catch people's attention in the sense that they would say, oh, this is really different from anything that I've heard before. Mm. And all their senses perk up. All of a sudden, they're not distracted. They're saying, okay, if you could pull that off, I'm definitely interested in that. And that's what the missing structure really does. Let me, let me, uh, let me interrupt just for a second, if you don't mind, just so we can wrap a bow around that one. It sounds like to me that there are two places where our members could use this missing structure in conversation. One is with the person thinking about hiring them. And the other is with the audience themselves. Can they not? I mean, these people also have their own missing structure within their own career, regardless of what their employ- what their the nature of their work is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, the the whole world is missing a missing structure. You know, I'm, <laughs> so when I go out, I mean, I don't give any speeches these days. 
And, you know, Bill, just for my background, that a lot of my big audiences are financial advisors. So I go out there and I said, now I'm going to show you my missing structure, but I want you to know that everything that I'm showing you for the next half hour, mm-hmm. you have to be able to present yourself in the same way, and you have to get your basic value creation proposition across in the first three minutes. So I think that this is just a structure that's needed for the times that we're living in. You know, it's a very fast-paced world. It's a very attention-deficit world. You catch people, you got three or four minutes to catch their attention, or you don't catch them at all. That's true for me in relationship to the audience. That's true for me in relationship to even getting hired to speak in front of an audience. But every member of the audience is exactly in the same position, just as you said. And they can usually identify with that, and that draws them in. So we're talking about you know how you talk about the work you do, yeah. how you yeah. creating kind of yeah. that evidence and and talking about it in a little different way. Uh, all right, let's let's switch now to talking to the members of NSA, and maybe you can give us just a few ideas. I'm and I'm I'm just thinking. All right, uh, I'm salivating here. What what are these? What is the framework? What is the structure that these superstars, these people who are earning you know, over a million dollars of personal income. I'm not talking about gross income. I'm talking about personal income. You know, what are they doing? What can we learn, you know, in the next few minutes from their framework? Well, here's an idea I'd like to throw out, and it's just a huge difference that I see between the above million and the below $200,000 people. The below $200,000 people are sellers, and the above a million dollar income earners are buyers. Okay, and what I mean by that, and it's just a fundamental attitude, is that in any business relationship, the buyer always has a natural advantage right from the beginning. And the reason is because you're sitting there and you're screening out, you know, does this work for me, does it not work for me? So one of the biggest changes that I think that a speaker right now, it's an attitudinal change. And, you know, some people are going to hear that and they say, you know, that's such a simple thing. It doesn't really matter, but it makes a profound difference in how you present yourself in the world backstage, how you present yourself front stage. So here's how I always prepare my thinking for anything that I do, Bill, is that I've got something that's incredibly valuable. I've worked at this for 36 years. I've got more experience in talking with entrepreneurs than anyone I've ever met. I've zeroed in on just what it takes to be a person who can operate and permanently and consistently get more than a million dollars in personal income. And, you know, I'd like to work with some really interesting people, and I just wondered if you're one of those people. (laughs) I don't know if you are or not. I don't know if this interests you. I don't know if your aspirations are in that direction. But I'm putting together a whole series of opportunities where we're going to have a high-powered group together people with all these aspirations and I'm, I'm just checking mm-hmm. I just like to have a conversation and see if you're that kind of person mm-hmm. I'm being a buyer in this right. situation I'm not being a seller okay and that's the biggest thing I notice is that sellers are always at a disadvantage right from the beginning because you're trying to please the other person I'm not trying to please anybody I'm actually trying to please myself and that is not end up with people in the room who aren't properly motivated, aren't properly qualified. Now, it's easier to say this after being out in the marketplace for 36 years and having achieved a certain level of success, but I noticed that my fortunes changed enormously about 20 years ago when I adapted this attitude. We're talking about um, coming from a place of of strength and and abundance rather than neediness. Yeah. 
um, with with a conscious competence here. You know, there's a purpose to, to what we're doing here. So let me just give you a scenario of how I see this playing out. Maybe this will help the, the listeners. So let's say we're um, a member of NSA. We have a body of expertise. One of the ways we you know impart that is through speaking, and we talk to a prospect, and you know we have a sixty minute session, a ninety minute session, three hour session, whatever. You know, we talk about what we're going to talk about, and we talk about the benefits from um, how they're going, you know, what they're going to walk away with, et cetera, et cetera. And that's pretty standard speaker talk. And it sounds like coming with this attitude, what I would do, uh, trying to adopt this, I'd say, I want to work with organizations that, or I, I work with organizations that really are committed to making a change. Uh, changing behavior. I know I can come in and do a two-hour, three-hour program and give a lot of great ideas, and some people will will walk away with some with some of those ideas and, and implement them. But if I can really work with your organization, work with your manager level, have a good follow-up system in place, and do all the things that I know it takes to create behavioral change, then you, both you and I, are going to be more satisfied with the work that we've done together. So I'm I'm just curious, you know, are you are you interested in that sort of uh, result? And now I just kind of made this up on a spur of the moment, but is, is is that what we're talking about? Yeah, the only thing that I would change about it is that I would keep me completely out of it altogether. I would just mm. talk about them. I and see. And here is where you really have to have the goods, Bill. I mean, you can't just go in there and you know blow smoke. You have to have some knowledge mm-hmm. about the industry that the people live in, what the problems are, what the issues are, the failure rates that most people are experiencing, and you walk in there. And what I try to do, I said. You know, if I can get through a 60-minute talk and I only talk about myself in the last three or four minutes, I know I've got a sale. Okay, because basically I'm walking in with a credibility, and so I don't have to tell people about what I do, but I have to tell them about where they are, where they would like to be, the transition they'd like to see, the difference in results that they would like to have. And the more I keep myself out of the proposition, then I'm just creating this reality in their minds that they're saying, geez, I've got to have that. And, you know, I don't have a sense out there that there's too many other people out there who can actually do this. And this person really knows my world. And this person, you know, just seems to have done all the thinking that is necessary to move from a really, really bad result to a good result. But he's not trying to sell me. You know, he's just describing the reality. See, when I say that 95% of entrepreneurs make less than $200,000 a year, that's not about strategic coach. I'm just telling you a truth about the world and the frustrations that go along with that truth. And if I go and tell you about a million dollars and how million-dollar people operate, I'm not telling you about anything about strategic coach. I'm just telling you about how the world operates. And when I say there's a missing structure out there, I'm not talking about strategic coach. I'm just saying, do you know any structure out there that actually helps? So what I try to do, and this is where your credibility comes, the less you talk about yourself, the more credible you are. Hmm, that's do, a, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're getting them to nod and nod and nod and nod, but they're not nodding about you. They're nodding about, yeah, that's the way the world is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what I think about at night at 2 o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep. Yeah, and they're sitting there and they're nodding. It's not about you, but you're the only person who's ever walked through the door and had this conversation with them. So, so if someone wants to really apply this, not only do they have to have a... a a strong amount of expertise in their own area, 
but they have to know who they're selling to in the sense of what are the unsuccessful organizations doing or what are the unsuccessful salespeople doing or what are the unsuccessful customer service people doing and what are the successful organizations doing? What are the successful salespeople doing? And so be able to, to talk about that contrast with the prospective client is that, so that demonstrates you know their what Even if you don't know exactly what they sell or exactly what they make, you, you know what it takes to be successful as a leader versus not successful as a leader. And you talk about that and they say, ah, this, person's no, this person knows my world. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and I, I just leave off with one point, Bill. Mm-hmm. The, I think that the strongest and most persuasive communication that you can possibly give to another person in this world is that they have this sense that they're being profoundly understood. So that comes from asking the right questions and talking to them in a way that they feel you understand them. Yeah. And then because you're exhibiting so much knowledge about the day-to-day world that they live in, and they don't have anyone else like that in their life, they'd like to sell you on Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. working with them. Which we'd all like to be in that position. Well, Dan, thank you so much for this. I I really appreciate this, and uh, we're going to have you back for some other segments and other topics. So uh, thanks for being with the Voices of Experience and with the National Speakers Association today. Thank you very much, Bill. On a personal note, since interviewing Dan a few months ago for this specific segment, I have adopted his concept of missing structure into my conversations with both my clients who hire me to speak as well as my audience members. Guess what? It works. It's brilliant. G'day, I'm Neen James. I'm Gina Schreck. And we are co-chairing the Unconference, the Winter Unconference, which is just around the corner. We are leveraging some amazing technologies for this Unconference. Gina, can you tell us a little bit about some of them? Well, one of them I'm most excited about is the iPad revolution. And we're going to focus on how, as content providers, we can really change the way we're delivering our content from just written format if we're writing books or just in person to really saying, how can we provide content that will be delivered through apps and maybe even some cool written um, content to be downloaded on an iPad. So some fun things coming up. Excellent. And we're also Skyping in international guests for this. We're leveraging technology, different applications. We're going to be encouraging you to download before you arrive at the conference. So before you arrive at the Unconference this winter, keep an eye out for all the video vignettes you're going to see on the NSA website. But we want to remind you to register for our conference in Atlanta. We'll see you at the beautiful Lowe's Hotel February 18th through 20th. Again, that's February 18th through 20 in Atlanta, Georgia. To register for the Unconference, visit www.mynsa.org. That's www.mynsa.org. And click on 2011 NSA Winter Unconference. Not going to the Unconference would simply be unsmart. And now my friend and one of the best speakers I know, Willie Jolly, CSP, CPAE, to tell you about how the best get better on the platform. So with me for VOE is Willie Jolly, CSP, CPAE. Willie, the title of this segment is How the Best Get Better, How the Best Speakers, and you're certainly one of the best speakers out there, uh, witnessed by the awards you've gotten, witnessed by me watching you speak. I know you're great. Uh, How do you work on getting better? How do you make sure you don't stay the same but keep evolving and keep getting better? You know, I heard a quote by Dave DeBusher one time that I've never forgotten. He said, 
while you're sleeping, and for those who don't know who Dave DeBusher was, he's a great basketball player. New York Knicks, New York right? Knicks. Yep. He said, while you're sleeping, someone somewhere is practicing. And when you meet, they're going to win. And I've never forgotten that because as speakers, sometimes we do what we do. It becomes second nature. It becomes unconscious competence. And we could do it in our sleep. Yet, I'm always mindful of that. So I always have to remember, Willie, you know what? You've got to keep in mind that you've got to sharpen your saw. So I'm looking for opportunities and places where I can create new material. I can try new stories. I'm always working on new stories for my family and on my friends saying, how do you like this? And I'm always trying to grow my abilities to communicate. And even though I've won the awards and I've had some great accolades, I still think I've just reached maybe the tip of the iceberg of what's really possible for me in the long run. And so I'm always trying to find new ways to expand what I do. And I must—I believe you must expand or become expendable. So therefore, you have to become better. And if you don't become better in time, it will have a impact on your long-term success growth and your velocity. So I keep it in my mind that Dave Bush a quote, I must work hard or when I meet with someone who is coming and working harder, they will win. Talk to me about music in your in your programs. I know you've played around with different uh, amounts of music and how much you use it. And Talk to me about that and how you use that to, to become better and different. Well, you want to differentiate, differentiate yourself from the crowd, and I am a singer by trade who became a speaker, and now I have two core competencies, speaking and singing. But I always made music a part of my programs from early on, 20 years ago, when I came from being a jazz singer to start speaking, and I closed my presentations with a song, and during my jazz programs, I used to speak and talk in the middle. So I just kind of switched it. Now I speak more and sing less where I used to sing more and speak less. Now, that said, I'm always trying to find a new way to purpose that music. I've done a one-man show, and I think you've come to see me do that, where I did 60% speaking and 40% music. I've done programs where I've been the MC of events and I'll kind of keep the things going by doing music. And I've done events where I had to pull music out of my bag because this audience was a different audience. And one of the things I learned when I was in the jazz clubs and in the music business, always work the room. Whatever the room is calling for, you work the room. You'll, you find what the room needs. So if I was singing in a bar mitzvah, I would sing music that would work that room. i do Motown. i do uh, the different kinds of entertainment kind of stuff that would be very... If I was singing at a uh, nightclub or if I was singing at a formal event. And so I learned to always work the room. And now as a speaker and someone who wants to make sure my audience is satisfied when they leave, I also have to to keep that in mind, work the room. And so some of the points of getting better is always look for new technologies. I didn't use PowerPoint for many years, and now I'm using PowerPoint. Uh, I'm using CDs and DVDs. I'm using technologies with my computer that I hadn't used before. How can I sharpen my saw, constantly look for new technologies? Let's talk about PowerPoint for a second. You know, sometimes in NSA, a speaker will get up and say, you know, I don't use PowerPoint and get applause from everyone in the audience. 
I've always been a believer that PowerPoint, if used properly, can actually enhance a presentation because people learn better visually than they do auditorily. So now they're seeing certain words, and it's getting into the mind a little deeper. Tell me why you, a motivational, inspirational speaker, someone you don't usually think of using PowerPoint, has decided to use PowerPoint in some situations. Actually, the reason was because I, I, I became focused on it when my new assistant came and said, you know, I got some ideas for you, and if you would try them, I think they would be good for you. And I was willing to say, okay, let's try it. She's very savvy in technology, and she put together a PowerPoint presentation for me that said, this kind of goes with what I've heard you speak in some of your presentations, and it would maybe have some funny funny moments, and I said, you know what? It worked well, and I just had to learn to do it, so I had to be open to change. Now, we all talk about change as speakers. We talk about you got to change, but many of us, including moi, for many years was not open to try new technology. I don't need PowerPoint. Well, now that I'm using it, I've found that it opens up new opportunities for me to do some unique kinds of messages, and to have the music Incorporated, it gives some visuals and some some new feelings and some new flavors and some new textures to my message. Yeah, beautiful. So, Willie Jolly, thanks for uh, talking to us about how you get better, how the best gets better. Thank you, Bill. It's my pleasure, and I'm honored to be a part of your VOE segment. Now it's time for part four and my four-part interview about coaching with Susie Pomerantz. If you've been listening to these segments. You now know that Susie Pomerantz knows the coaching business like no one else. So with me again for her final segment on VOE about coaching is Susie Pomerantz, the coach's coach, author of Seal the Deal. Uh, She's got several websites that help coaches become better coaches. And in this segment, we're going to talk about some strategies and tactics for selling coaching and making it a part of your revenue mix. But before we do that, Susie, what are you do have some free resources for people who are interested in the coaching uh, profession. So why don't we give those at the beginning here and make sure people know about these. Yeah, there are places where you can get free articles, podcasts, and videos. A lot of them are featured at suzypomerantz.com. There's also a coach's store there. So Susie, S-U-Z-I, Pomerantz.com. And you can find all kinds of free resources there. Suzypomerantz.com. Okay. And there's a couple other, uh, the library and the Coaches Corner. Tell us about that. There's the Leading Coaches Center at leadingcoachescenter.com. And there's another version of that, which is the Leading Coaches Clubhouse, which has even more goodies for building your coaching business. Then there's the libraryprofessionalcoaching.com, which has a lot of resources for executive coaches as well. So if you're looking to do some research or if you're writing a, an article or a paper about coaching, that would be the place to go. Mm. And I know you've had your hand in all of those in some form or another. So clearly you do know this business of coaching. And so in the past segments, we talked about, do you want to add coaching? How do you become a better coach? What are the different business models, et cetera? Now let's get to the money. (laughs) Let's talk about marketing and selling your coaching. So this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is the key. And the problem with this concept, this is where actually many really great coaches are not succeeding because coaching is a business. And like any business, it requires a business development strategy, a game plan. Now, those of you who are successful in the speaking business already know how that works. It's not enough to be just a great speaker. You also have to be a business person and think like a business person to succeed. So the same is true with coaching. So in terms of marketing and selling coaching, you want to have 
a strategic plan as to who you're targeting for coaching. Is it the same client base that you're targeting for the speaking engagements? Are you building it in as an add-on to your speaking? Or are you trying it as a separate little side project, whereas you might want to try individual clients. So part of it is figuring out who's your target market. That would be the first place to start. And I guess thinking as a business person, not letting it be a distraction, but <laughs> having that, as Nito likes to say, that uh, intentional congruence where we're doing it knowing it's fitting into something bigger. It has to be aligned with your overarching business plan, business model, etc. So figuring out where you're taking your speaking business, how coaching can fit into that, and then making sure that your plan for selling and marketing coaching is aligned and congruent. Absolutely. Great. To whom do you sell coaching? You know, where should we be looking for our prospects? So in terms of figuring that out, you want to, again, go back to your focus, your business plan, your strategy, and try to figure out who is the decision maker, who's actually the buyer. So if you're, if you're selling coaching into a, an organization where you're also selling speaking, is it the same person who would be the purchaser of the coaching? In some, place, in some cases, it may be. And in some cases, there may be an entirely different decision-making process. And so part of your seeking where to sell coaching would be in figuring out inside your current client organizations, who's the right person to talk to about coaching? And is that something that they already have? Uh, nowadays, more than ever, there are a lot of organizations that have internal coaching programs, or they already have a cadre of coaches, and they wouldn't necessarily think to seek coaching services from their favorite speaker. So part of your work in figuring out who your clients are is figuring out if you want to go to your existing clients, and then within there, who are the actual buyers? The meeting planner that hires you or works logistically with you to get you on the platform may very well not be the person you talk to at all about this coaching aspect of your business. That's exactly right. You may talk to an executive directly. You may talk to an HR or training and learning and development professional inside the organization. But your speaker's bureau isn't necessarily going to be able to help you get coaching engagements. That's not their focus. So it's about knowing with whom to have those conversations. So it sounds like this is where the referral comes into play, to use a word I'm very familiar with, to talk to the meeting planner, if that's your main point of contact, about the other ways that you serve organizations and to talk about who else in that organization should you have a conversation with. You also want to think about a broader referral strategy because not just your meeting planner and your speakers bureau, but think about your accountant or your attorney or people who also provide professional services inside organizations. They may have an ear to the ground as to whether executive coaching would be a need in that client organization, and they would be able to refer you and recommend you as not just a speaker. Hey, by the way, you know, I know someone who can provide really great coaching about referrals into your financial services organization. Do you know Bill Cates? Well, yeah, he's just a speaker that we've hired. We know him. He's a great speaker, but we never thought about hiring him for coaching. So it's the kind of thing that opens a conversation, expands the opportunity for you. Um, and you absolutely want to look at different referral sources. And you also want to consider the buying motivations. I mean, the person who hires you as a speaker may have different buying motivations than the person who hires coaches inside an organization. Give me an example of that. Well, a the person who's hiring speakers may be looking for someone to entertain the troops, if you will, at, uh, at a corporate meeting or a corporate event. So they're looking for something that's going to lighten the space and provide some knowledge and, and, and get your subject matter expertise across in a one-shot deal. The person who's looking to hire coaching is looking at long-term development and advancement of the individuals inside their organization. So their buying motivations are different. They're not looking for someone who can provide a one-shot deal. I heard you uh, say something once about when you're selling coaching, you're not really selling coaching. 
What do you mean by that? Yes, I was speaking in tongues. So, <laughs> so it's true because coaching is coaching is the methodology. It's the how you accomplish the results. So, the the person who's buying, the organization who's buying, they're not buying the benefits of coaching. They're not buying the methodology of coaching. What they're really buying are results. They're buying they're buying the the trust that you and the confidence that you are the person that can provide the results that they want. So you're not actually selling coaching. The coaching is how you can get them there, there being the results. So you're selling the there. You're selling the relationship and the confidence that you're the person who can help them get there. You're the trusted advisor and the strategic thought partner that can help them accomplish those results. It's very much an intangible and where as a speaker can show a video of themselves in action little tougher to show yourself as a coach in action, isn't it? It would be very difficult to do that because coaching has the confidentiality piece that speakers don't necessarily have to worry about. You can tell whatever stories you tell and there isn't confidentiality around that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're selling speak, when you're selling coaching, it's very challenging to create stories, relevant stories and anecdotes to share with a prospective buyer because you have to be very careful about the confidentiality of your previous clients. Certainly. So in your book, Seal the Deal, you talk about the critical trinity of business development. Uh, you know, what, what is that and how does that relate to coaching? So critical trinity I refer to is networking, marketing, and sales. And so um, just to distinguish those a little bit, a lot of times people talk about business development and they use the term interchangeably with networking and marketing and sales as if they all mean the same thing. So just to break that out a little bit, networking is the relational piece where you're interacting with human beings to create a genuine human connection. And that's not necessarily for the purpose of business. It's just any kind of of time you're connecting with a human. Marketing is the preparational aspect, and that's when you are building what you need to communicate your core message to market. So it's your website, your collateral materials, creating your speaking engagements, etc. And then sales is a specific set of actions where you're creating an equal exchange of value. And what that means around coaching is that you're having conversations with decision makers and buyers of coaching services where you are specifically having a conversation around providing coaching services to them. And so those sales activities are very distinct and different from networking and marketing. And so how it relates to coaching is that you need to use all three of them. It really relates to any business, but you you want to make sure that it's a three-legged stool that's balanced. Networking, marketing, and sales, you want to be taking strategic action across all three areas simultaneously that is, again, congruent and aligned with your overarching strategy. Makes sense. So one of the things I've discovered in my business, Susie, and I know you have in yours as well, is there's always a synergy between the different activities that you're doing. I think if you're doing the business properly. So in this case, we have the synergy of, of speaking, coaching, consulting, products. Uh, talk about the synergy that happens there and how that interplays with marketing and selling, etc. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It's very complementary. So I mentioned in a previous segment that a lot of coaches use speaking as a marketing strategy for getting more coaching engagements. And I think the reverse is also true, that speakers can use coaching as a marketing strategy to get either more speaking engagements or more coaching engagements. But you're right, those are the four key components. Coaching, consulting, speaking, and products all feed into each other very nicely because from the platform in front of the room, you can integrate stories about accomplishments and results that you've produced with coaching clients, thereby dropping the hint that you are available to provide coaching services. You can also refer to elements of your books or products, 
from the platform of the front of the room, which then produces more product sales. But also you can weave stories about coaching and speaking into your books and products. So there's a it it all is um, very much an integrated circle, if you will. It's like intersecting Venn diagrams. So if you've got all four of those elements working in your business, you're you're almost guaranteed success. Intersecting Venn diagrams. Right. All right. We won't we'll go into that. So you're going to lose me <laughs> I there. I need a visual. Yeah, you need a visual. Hard <laughs> to do in VOE. So I know you've been extremely proactive with social media. Uh, you were recently named the number one most influential executive coach on Twitter, which congratulations for that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very cool. I don't know what it means, but it's very cool. <laughs> that plus five bucks will get me a cup of coffee. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. These days. So how can we use social media in the context of selling coaching? And I know that your answer to this will also relate in the context of selling, speaking, and consulting. Yeah, it's a great question. And I get this question a lot around social media because if we go back to the original distinctions from Seal the Deal and the Critical Trinity, there's networking, there's marketing, and there's sales. The answer to how do you use social media to sell coaching and speaking is you don't. Social media is a networking and a marketing vehicle. But what's powerful there, it can absolutely lead to sales, just not directly. So what the power of social media is that you're engaging in creating relationships. You're in a two-way conversation with people all over the world at any time of day. And what I particularly love about Twitter is that it's quick. It's a streaming conversation. It's happening all the time. You can put your toe into that river anytime you want, and it continues to flow. But what happens is, with Twitter in particular, it happens on all of them. But with Twitter in particular, since you only have 140 characters with which to communicate, it very quickly moves to the best sales vehicle around, which is the telephone. You say, you know, let's talk about this more, let's get on the phone. Then you can really further the relationship and and engage in a sales conversation. But to, to look at how do I make money directly on social media, I mean, you can. There's people who are doing it. They're largely um, information marketers or uh, porn people. But um, the rest of us... Don't don't bring me into this conversation. (laughs) The rest of us who are using social media effectively are doing it through building relationships in a genuine way and leveraging the tools of social media to advance the conversation into a meeting or a phone conversation that will create sales. So the social media positions you as an expert. It positions you as... Social media expands your visibility, really. It's an exposure tool. Because think about it this way. On on Twitter, for example, I have over 8,000 followers. So if I want to... Over 8,000? Over 8,000 followers. So wow. if I want to communicate something to my following on Twitter, I, I can, within an instant, it's like I'm, I can send a text message to 8,000 people at once. Where else do you have that kind of reach and power, you know, unless you've got 8,000 people in the room when you're on the platform speaking? So if if speakers want to learn more about social media or integrating coaching, there are, they can feel free to reach out and contact me. Susie at InnovativeLeader.com is the email address. I'm happy to talk to anyone from NSA. Susie Pomerantz, uh, your website again is? SusiePomerantz.com. S-U-Z-I-P-O-M-E-R-A-N-T-Z. Susie, you've been uh, great. Your giving nature certainly showed through, and we appreciate your contributions to National Speakers Association through Voices of Experience. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's been great to work with you. Susie, NSA thanks you for bringing your expertise to us through these VOE segments. Next up is another segment from one of our Million Dollar Speaker members. If you were at the convention in Orlando this past summer, you saw Chad Hymas deliver a great presentation. And if you saw him speak, you'll understand why the idea he's about to share 
works great for him. Perhaps it'll work great for you as well. Chad runs a very successful business, and Chad, tell us what's working for you right now. You know, we've we've done some things a little bit differently in, uh, in that I think we've all had to change the way we do things, and I'll just get right to the point. Uh, we never did this before. I've got um, a couple gals in the office, and their responsibility is to invite a potential client or a potential bureau. This would mean somebody that has contacted us to book us, not somebody that is already booked or somebody that we know will book. This is somebody that is consistent considering us and comparing me to somebody else that's speaking on the same topic, and we will pay for them to go see me speak. Um, here's the difference. We are not bringing them, uh, we are not doing this just when the occasion occurs. We have to do it on the 8th of every month, and I want to know by the 15th who the girls have chose. And this is a full fee potential opportunity. We've done it every month for the last three years. And we've done as many as one client or potentials, what we, we call them potentials. So it's a bureau or a meeting planner, or it could be a bureau and the bureau's client. We'll pay for them both to come into whatever city. So we're going to fly in there, we're going to pay for their airfare, and we're going to pay for the hotel stay. We've done as, le- many, as few as one per month for the last three years, and as many as six per month. And here's the catch. We have booked, as we've tracked, the first year, which was 2007, we booked 76% at full fee. In 2008, which is when everything tanked, we did drop 8%. So that's not bad. We dropped 8%. So 8% of the people that we, we just dropped fewer. So now we're down to 68%. We did, we, we booked that many that we brought in. And then last year we leveled back off at 76% again. And this year I'm hoping to be higher than that. So that is the one thing that you're at. You've asked me to talk on the one thing. That is the one thing that I absolutely love that we're doing. That I don't mind forking out a flight in a hotel room and a $50 voucher for meals and a taxi fare to get an agreement of somebody's potential to book it full fee. Beautiful. Thank you, Chad. My pleasure. You know, sometimes the best ideas don't have to be complicated, do they? This is so simple and so brilliant. Thanks again, Chad. Our president, Kristen Arnold, has brought a perspective to her leadership of NSA that is one of those just right for the time sort of things. She's working tirelessly to make sure NSA fulfills its commitment to you at the highest level possible. I'll give you your president, Kristen Arnold. Tis the season to be jolly. Here's wishing you a happy holiday season. And in the traditional downtime, this is the perfect opportunity to do a little introspection about the year and to set forth a dynamic plan for the upcoming year. So set aside a half day or a full day to do this by yourself or with your team of employees, virtual assistants, or key contractors, either face-to-face or virtually. And make sure you take precautions to minimize the interruptions. You want to be working on your business and not in your day-to-day business activities when you do this planning. So start off with taking a good, hard look at the numbers from the last years, and if you have them, a few years prior. Take a look at the trends in your gross income, your net income, number of engagements, your portfolio of products and services, your client types, referral sources, and the list goes on, depending on your own unique business model. Then, step back and ask three key questions. Number one, over the past year, what has worked well in your business? Number two, what didn't work so well over the past year? And number three, What are the critical issues or gaps between where you are now 
and where you want to be in the next one, two, or even three years. From this conversation, you'll develop a handful of key results that you want over the next year or so. Keep in mind, it's just a handful, no more than five, preferably three. I've seen too many speakers get bogged down with a long list of goals that never get translated into action. So more than a handful is just way too overwhelming. So for each of these three to five result areas, you might even want to call them goals, identify the key activities that need to happen to achieve that particular goal. Now, if you haven't brought your team in, now is a good time to include them in the conversation. And reach out to others in your chapter, your mastermind, or other people whose opinion you respect, because they can help you flesh this plan out. Again, no more than three or a max of five activities per goal, because you don't need to make this into a big science project. You may even find a twofer activity. That's one activity that supports two of your goals. Or maybe even a threefer that supports three of your goals. I love it when that happens because I know that that's a high leverage activity where I should really focus my efforts over the next year. Then set up a structure to support forward movement on your plan. Now, we all get sucked into the busyness of our days, checking the 467 emails, updating our status on Facebook, and blogging about some significant issue. So at the beginning of the week, ask yourself, What's the one thing I'm going to do to move this goal forward? Then, at the end of the week, ask, what did I do to move this plan forward? Now, I don't know about you, but I strive to check at least one, maybe two, maybe even three of these strategic items off my to-do list. So, at the end of the week... I feel like I've actually accomplished something. And before you know it, you'll have made significant progress to achieving your goals one step at a time. Now, the National Speakers Association operates in much the same way. Each year around Thanksgiving, your national board comes together to reflect on the past year, refine the strategic plan, and identify the key activities for the upcoming year. We have a newly formed strategic planning committee who is watching those numbers, the trends, and the critical issues facing our profession and our association. They provide recommendations to the board who then reviews and modifies our strategic plan going forward. Last year and this year, we have five key goals. First, create well-defined segmented programs and services for the working professional speaker so that all members find educational value at NSA. Two, enhance the overall NSA member experience so that all members find value at NSA. Three, strengthen the relationship with NSA chapters to ensure our members have an exceptional experience at the local level that is consistent with the NSA brand. Four, demonstrate our commitment to the profession with meaningful research so that our members and external constituencies receive insightful information to be successful in the speaking profession. And five, create and implement a focused and segmented marketing plan internally to our members and externally to the greater industry that hires speakers so that our members and external constituencies know the value of NSA and NSA speakers. For each of these five goals, we have assigned a board and staff champion who ensures that we continue to make forward progress so that we can serve you, our members, even better 
Because NSA is all about providing exceptional value to you so that you can be wildly successful in this business. So have a fabulous holiday, and don't forget to take some time out to plan for that wildly successful future. Thanks, Kristen. We appreciate your commitment to the members of NSA. Well, that does it for your December edition of VOE. This is your host, Bill Cates, reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on ideas will make you more successful. We'll be back in the new year, that's 2011, with another edition of Voices of Experience. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.